It is, it's a joy to be here. Uh, I do love this area. Um, New Hampshire, I understand, was, we're right near, which I uh, love New Hampshire. My family, actually, my wife's family grew up outside of Boston, so they go back to the Pilgrims. Uh, my wife's grandparents, actually, John Robinson was the pastor of the, of the Pilgrims. And uh, so they go way back, and we've come up, and we uh, uh, have vacationed up here. I love hiking, so I've hiked the White Mountains, the Presidential Range, and backpacked that. And, and uh, so I love being here, and it's just great to be here with this church. What a beautiful building. Uh, I love the beams, so uh, this, is, this is wonderful. And I, I just want you to hear how grateful I am. I don't know your church well, but I do know it from afar. And I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for your love for the gospel. So you have here a strong church that's a gospel presence in this area. And so you're a light to this area. And I, and I hear about that and, and how you've grown. And then I hear about how you've planted other churches. So you've planted two other churches uh, with Sean and Jacob. I'm going to plant with Mike as well. And I just think, okay, so, you, so you're planting churches which takes real commitment and also sacrifice. It's an expression of a love for the Gospel, but it's an expression of faith. Uh, I know what church planting is about. I remember we've planted two churches. So I remember what it was like to church plant. And there's a joyful sorrow. There's the joy of we're planting a church and the sorrow of we're saying goodbye to friends. You know, there's people that aren't going to be in the same building. And, and uh, when we've done that twice, and same thing. It was like there's people on the stage that are joyful and weeping all at the same time to plant churches. And I think, well, you've done that and now twice and are planning to do it again. Uh, we had Jacob uh, down and he preached at our church. We had Sean down and he preached at our church. We took offerings from them. Our, our folks love Jacob and Sean. They really love them and and uh, they still pray for them. We still talk about what they're doing. So we're still praying uh, about them. And I just met with Jacob back in the fall. Had a wonderful time with him. I'm going to be up here in June meeting with the different guys. Um, so just, I want you to understand the gospel's ringing out. And your faith is an example beyond what happens locally. So I get to go home next week and talk about my visit here. And, and just the encouragement I sense from being here. So one, thank you for your love for the Gospel. Thank you for your love for Gospel mission. Thank you for how generous you are as a church. Uh, I know you give, uh, you're mission-driven. You give to Sovereign Grace. But you give beyond Sovereign Grace as well. So you have a real commitment to the, to the mission of the Gospel. Um, so just thank you for all of that. Um, and I just want you to know, your, your example is an example. is an example that encourages us uh, as well. So it's good to be here. Uh, as Paul said, my, my respect for Paul, and this is not just sort of mutual back and forth, I have great respect for Paul. Um, we served together in the ex, uh, ex executive committee. Paul's one of, one of the guys we call one of our smart guys. I'm not one of those guys. Um, I'm just an average guy, but Paul's one of our smart guys. Um, here's what I know about Paul. He's very well thought out, uh, and he's got strong ideas. And he's not afraid to advocate for them. Paul's a strong leader. He's a, and, and all that mind works before words come out. And so his words are always very thoughtful um, and they've got conviction about them. But I also want to say this. Not only is he a well-thought-out man, he has a robust risk-taking faith. And sometimes people who are very intelligent, you know, they can think through things and plan to a point where, well, do you take risks? And I think, well, Paul's got both. He's well thought out, thinks well, plans well, but he's a risk taker. 
And he's a, he's a real man of faith. And then the other thing I've seen him is him, he knows how to advocate for a position and then defer. And that's not easy to do. When you're the, a smart guy in the room and you're advocating and believing, you know, here's a course of direction and there's other guys that are not agreeing, well, what do you do in those moments? Because we can talk about humility, but that's where humility starts to function. And I've seen Paul defer and support other people's ideas. Even if perhaps his idea was the best idea in the room, and, and uh, sometimes that works out over time. Uh, so, Paul, thanks for inviting me here. Had a great time at your home last night, the hospitality of you and Peg. So it was, it was wonderful. All right, well, let's, let's get into God's Word. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, it's Hebrews chapter 3. We're actually going to be looking at verses 12 through 14. And the topic we're talking about this morning is sanctification. Now, I don't know if that word means a lot uh, or doesn't mean a lot. Uh, it's one of those theological words. Here's how I would view sanctification. It's just how we cooperate with God as His grace transforms us to become more like Christ. It's just becoming more like Christ. right? We're, we're adopted into God's family. We're saved by grace. So Christ died for our sins. We're saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Through, through, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And th- those are all very important. But as we become part of God's families, we're adopted in, we start what to bear resemblance. And you start saying, yeah, I, I know what family you belong to. You know, if you notice, I don't know your family as well in the church. You say, I know what family those kids are from. Why? Well, they bear family resemblance. Well, there's a sense that as God adopts us into His family, we start to bear a family resemblance. Right away, we're fully His children. We're not going to improve that. But we learn the family culture. We become more like the family values. And so that's what God's doing in us. Saying, oh yeah, we're His children fully adopted from moment one we're born again. And actually, God chose us before the foundation of the world, so His love was set upon us in eternity past. But now, there's something that He's doing to make us reflect Him. So we're becoming more like Christ. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, there's personal responsibility in this, so we cooperate with God. But it's not just personal responsibility. Sanctification also requires the help of others. It's a team effort. It's a team effort. So the title of the message is Sanctification, a Community Project. Why? Because we need each other to grow more like Christ. We need each other to grow more like Christ. So let's see if God's Word confirms and instructs us that way. So Hebrews chapter 3, reading verses 12-14. through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called to today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray. Lord, we have read Your Word. And Lord, Your Word's active. It's alive. It's powerful. This is You speaking. This is not just an ancient manuscript that we quote. Your living words. And Lord, please speak to us this morning. Now, Lord, please bless the preaching of Your Word to Your people 
you love, whom you've set your affection on. Who, Lord, you don't just save us and rescue us once, but you really rescue us again and again and again and again as our hearts, as we sang this morning, can be prone to wander, to leave the God we love. And then you come and pour out your love afresh. So thank you for that. Lord, please now bless our time. Help me to serve these dear folks whom you love so dearly. In Jesus' name, amen. I, um, one of the things you don't know me well, one of the things I, I love to do is I love to hike. So I, I love mountains. Um, I'm in a flat state. <laughs> New Jersey's just flat and sort of just blah that way. But I, I love mountains. Uh, I hike out west a lot. I'm out in the Rockies. I'm out in the Sierras. Uh, I go backpacking for days. Uh, so I love that kind of stuff. I visit a number of national parks. Of all the national parks that I visit and love, um, I lo- Yellowstone's my favorite. Anybody else been to Yellowstone National Park? Some of you have been to uh, Yellowstone is my favorite place in the, in the country, I think. It's, it's awe-inspiring. Um, it's diverse. And I, I really worship God when I'm in those places. Uh, I can't help but worship God. Um, it's very diverse. So if you go to Yellowstone, there's mountains. There's deep canyons, there's spectacular waterfalls, uh, there's thermal activities that are beautiful and dramatic, and there's great wildlife. Uh, I've actually been out on trails and um, had grizzly bears on those trails, which sounds exciting until you're there, and then it's no longer exciting. You realize you go from exciting to possible terror in moments, um, and, uh, and I've had those moments. Um, and, and the idea that you can't outrun a bear, I said, I don't need to. I just need to outrun my brother. Uh, so <laughs> that's all I got to do. Um, <laughs> I'm younger and in better shape than him, so I think I got that. Uh, um, so this beautiful national park, but as you go to these national parks and you enjoy the beauty, you'll also find in the national parks warning signs throughout the park. And they're to ensure your safety. So things like stay on the boardwalks, around hot springs. So they'll have trails and they like to stay on the trail, stay on these walks. Stay behind railings when you're around waterfalls and cliffs. Don't walk over the railing. Don't hike where there's been grizzly activity. And then one of mine, don't approach a buffalo. And I think I might have this, I don't know if it'll show or not, uh, the, the buffalo. This is why they say don't approach buffalo because people get, get hurt by buffalo. Um, and I, I've seen this, I mean, I, I've seen people go up, actually one guy that actually uh, it's killed, I believe, went up and kicked the buffalo. It was laying down, and he kicked it because he wanted to have a better picture. And you're like, this thing weighs 2,000 pounds and has horns. You're something you didn't think through um, at that moment. Um, and the point is, people sometimes ignore the signs. Like, they have these warning signs all over. But there's not a year that goes by that somebody doesn't drown, fall off a cliff, get boiled, in a thermal, get mauled by a bear, or get gored. There's not a year that there's not some tragedy. Why? Because they ignore the sign. Somehow the sign doesn't apply to them. You know, I'm a little bit smarter. I'm more athletic. I'm more coordinated. So I can, I mean, I've seen even in, in the Grand Canyon, like, like, you are standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I mean, this is the Grand Canyon, and you're standing on a wall doing a selfie. And you're like, I mean, I can't look over barely those. And people do those things, and people fall. People get gored every year. People go 
I won't stay on the trail, and they fall in the thermals and get boiled because they've ignored the warning signs. He- Hebrews 3 is given to us as a warning sign by God to protect us. It's given to us as a warning sign to protect us. To ignore it, to ignore Hebrews 3, is to willingly walk into danger. Now, this text doesn't just warn us, and I'm going to talk about that. It doesn't just warn us. It gives us guidance and a remedy to the danger. So there's a warning and a remedy. First, I want you to hear the warning. And there's actually three warnings in this text. The first is we find in verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be any, uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Here's the first warning. Sin is serious. Sin's very serious. Sin is serious to the point where you can fall away from the living God. This God that created this world, that created you, in a sense has a right over you, that has died for your sins, that loves you to, to give His only Son for you, and you can walk away from Him. That's what can happen here. And, and this sin would obviously be the sin of unbelief, but you can walk away. Paul gives a similar warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And listen to Paul's warning. And here's a specific, sin, a specific sin. For the love of money is the root. It's not money, right? It's the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's a warning given. Look, money by itself is neutral, but the love of money starts to get a hold. We start to put our confidence in that. That becomes our security. It's what we start to pursue. And you know what? You can pursue things, and next you know, well, I'm making compromises I never thought I would make. And people have, and Paul's saying, because of the love of money, people have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. There's a warning giving. So sin is serious. Is one of the things that, that Hebrews 3 tells us. A second thing that Hebrews 3 tells us is sin is deceitful. So in verse 13, don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So have you ever asked the question, how does sin deceive? So think about that personally. How has sin deceived you? And my guess is you think back, you can probably start to recount ways sin has deceived you. So I don't know how it's deceived you, but I, I can tell you some ways it's deceived me in my past and probably still in my present at times. One, it's not a big deal. Right? No harm, no foul. Sin's not a big deal. You know, this wasn't a big deal. You know, we have what we call the scandalous sin. So that's a big deal sin. But this is a small sin. And small, well, everybody sins. Right? And we start to minimize sin in our minds. It's not a big deal. You know, ah, you know I just had an attitude. Well, everybody gets angry. You know, ah, boy, I just had a lustful look. But I didn't commit adultery. You know, yeah, I wanted what that person had. So I had a little bit of covet, but I didn't steal. Like, steal? Oh, that's scandalous. The point is, well, all sin's serious. And we can minimize, and I think one of the things that, that can happen in sin's seed is it's not a big deal. And then, you know what? You can always repent. And certainly we can repent, but 
That's the way that sin deceives. It's okay. You can always repent. It's not a big deal. Or how about this? You can always stop. You can sin to a point. You know? And then you can stop. If anybody and has ever struggled with an addiction, right? Addictions don't advertise themselves by, hey, try this and I'm going to enslave you. <laughs> right? Can you imagine anybody coming to you and saying, hey, here's what I want to do. I want you to start this. And right, like, now what's going to happen? Right now it's going to be fun, but really five years from now, this is going to torment your life. And you're going to be so upset that you can't stop. And you're going to try, but you're going to fail over and over and over again. No, it's no harm. And you can always quit. <laughs> well, sin's like that. You can sin to a point and stop. Folks, sin is an imperious power. It wants control. It doesn't want to stop. It wants to send tentacles. And I've seen that <laughs> in my life. Where, ah, I can always stop. Oh, wow. This is a habit now that's plaguing. This is something that's hard to stop. I think it was uh, Thomas Watson. I think he said something. I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing the quote now because I don't have it. Um, you know, sin first plucked up is easily removed, but the deeper the roots, the harder. Right? Sin first discovered, easily plucked up. But the longer it grows, the more you cultivate it, boy, the deeper its tentacle goes. And now when I'm pulling those roots, Man, they're not coming. And sometimes when they come, boy, it's causing some you know, dirt flying. And it's pulling out some other things. It's complicated. So that's the way I think the sin deceives. I think another way sin deceives is live for the moment. Right? Just live for today. By the way, that's not a really good Christian ethic. Live for today. We, we live for the long tomorrow. <laughs> but you know, live for today. That's what the world tells us all the time. Live for today. So I like this quote by uh, Sinclair Ferguson who says the following in a great book called Devoted to God. says the following, trace the pattern of sin in the lives of the characters described in the Scriptures. Remember, God gives them those to us as examples for us. Because God loves us. See, God loves you so much He doesn't want you to get trapped. And He'll rescue you in traps and He'll deliver you out of jaws. He'll rescue you. But He also loves us enough. He's a good parent. Not just, you know, I'm just going to let my kids walk off cliffs left and right. No, I'm going to stop them. I'm going to throw my body in front of them. I'm going to yell. I'm going to call out. He's going to be involved in that. And so he gives us examples. And so Ferguson says, trace the pattern of sin in the lives of the characters described in the Scriptures. You cannot avoid noticing that they did not see far enough or think clearly enough about their decisions and actions. From Eve in the Garden of Eden through David on the rooftop. This Jerusalem palace. To Demas, the erstwhile companion of Paul. They thought, what now rather than what then? Right? If you know the story of David, maybe you're familiar with it. You, know, you think, wow, on a rooftop, basically a people talk, he looks lustfully at a woman. I don't think he woke up that day and said, you know what? I think today will be the day for adultery that will lead me to murder. Now, I'm just in the wrong place really at the wrong time. It's just not maybe faithful. Well, yeah, I'm, I didn't feel like being out with the army. Let's 
been hard. I've done a lot of f***ing. He's just casual. He wasn't planning something scandalous. He's just on a rooftop chilling. You know, maybe a little slothful. But we're all slothful. Sloth becomes a, a lustful look. Lustful look becomes a planned adultery. Oh no, the planned adultery, now there's, there's a baby, and that's a scandal. I don't want that, so now I've got to cover that up. The cover-up didn't work. Husband wouldn't come home, sleep with his wife. So you know what? I'll get the husband murdered, and I'll marry the wife. Wow. What, how'd you get there? Well, the deceitfulness of sin. That's how you got there. And remember, he eventually becomes so callous. When he hears a story, he, he's self-righteous. He's lost all sense of his guilt. And he needs a prophet to come, and, and God uses that to rescue a beloved son. Because David was his son. So even in that scandal, God didn't let go of the son. It shows the grace of God so powerfully. So, sin says live for the moment. And Scripture tells us the opposite. And, and later in Hebrews, in, in Hebrews 10, uh, uh, verses 24 to 26, um, it says the following. Actually, it's Hebrews 11. The wrong chapter there. Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Now here, here get the sight. What I just said, right? Sin makes us... N- short-sighted. He, he, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. He had long-sightedness at that moment. Short-sightedness would have been the pleasures of Egypt. No harm, no foul. I didn't get here by myself. You know, actually, God put me in, the, in Pharaoh's palace. That's where I am. No, no, he's going to reject that and the, and the pleasures of Egypt. And that's, by the way, sins are pleasurable. They're not usually harmful or, or displeasurable in the beginning. So it's living for the moment. Now, here's, I think, the biggest deceit of sin. So sin is serious. Here's the, here's the biggest thing. I think the most serious part of sin is something's more enjoyable than God. And I think Satan's telling us that all the time. Something, someone's more trustworthy than God and something's more enjoyable than God. Something's more trustworthy. You, yourself, your own resources, someone else. Um, and someone's more meaningful than God, more worthy than God, more satisfying than God. And that's the most dangerous um, of that. And then the third effect, so sin is serious. Sin deceives. And the final one is sin hardens. Sin hardens. It dulls the conscience. And folks, we get good at developing excuses. In my high school yearbook, and I thought, I thought when they did this in my high school yearbook, I thought this was great. Now I realize how hor- horrific it is. So in my, in my yearbook, and you, can, you could read it. If I had my yearbook here, you would look and, and it would say, Warren Betcher, you know, can talk his way out of anything. And I thought, yeah, that's me. I can talk my way out of anything. Which means basically I can manipulate people and lie well. <laughs> if they put that in my yearbook, it wouldn't have looked as good. 
And I like, but that's what they're saying. I can manipulate and lie. What I can make excuses. You know, it, I, nobody had to ta- teach me to do that. You know, you don't have to ever teach kids to make excuses. I said, I'm not doing that. And then, wow, we're going to share life together? And I was like, I'm not doing that either. I'll go to this care group, community group, because it's required of church membership. And I'll talk about the Bible, because I'm good at that. I went to a Christian school. I taught in a Christian school. I'll talk about the Bible. I'll do Bible study. But opening my life, I'm not doing that. And that was something God had impatiently took time with in my life to change. Uh, being alone isn't a good place either. The recipients of Hebrews, they were drifting. This, this, this group of folks, they were drifting. So Hebrews 10, in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 24 and 25, it, it says the following, um, uh, that they were starting to drift, right? They were forsaking the assembling together. They weren't together as much as they had been at one point. And, 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 there was, and, and the writer of Hebrews is challenging them on that. You know, drift was becoming a habit for them. And, and, and so here's the point, folks. I know, and I know Paul, I know the other men a little bit, I know you're getting good preaching, biblical preaching, and sound doctrine here. And that's crucial. Fundamental. You know, without that, run and go someplace else. There, you know, we preach God's Word. We want to think God's Word, God's thoughts after God, not in front of God. Right? We want the Bible to interpret our life and our experiences, not our life and experiences to interpret the Bible. So we got to think about those things rightly. So I know this. Preaching and knowing sound doctrine are essential, most essential, but aren't enough. They aren't enough. And you need to hear God's Word speak to this, not an opinion, not a church practice speak to this. But how does God's Word speak to this? Sanctification is a group project. Individualism and isolation are both unbiblical and dangerous. They're unbiblical and dangerous. You just go through the one another's. This was a major shift for me. I was a private person. My family ethic was a private family ethic. But it was like, you know, it doesn't matter my background, my culture, my personality bent, my, my inclinations. What does God's Word say? How does God's Word claim me? And, and ultimately, if it's claiming me, it's also rescuing me and it's protecting me and it, it's going to bless me. So we start to think about these things and say, okay, well, we're called to be together. R.C. Sproul, who recently just went to be with the Lord, said it this way, it is both foolish and wicked to suppose we will make much progress in our sanctification if we isolate ourselves from the local church. So we're called to live life together. Now there's challenges for that, right? Let's be real. There's challenges to that, right? You live in the suburbs, I live in the suburbs. Well, there's proximity. My, my son planted a church in, in South Philadelphia. You know what they love? They all live within a four-block radius. So when they walk anywhere, they're seeing people from the church. You don't ever have to get in your car. For us, it's like, I want to go visit a friend. Oh, i got to get in my car. It's 15 minutes away. You know, I've got to arrange this and that. How do you do life together? And, and, and we have people go to the city just for the community aspect of it. Like, we want to be in a closer, tighter community. We're in the suburbs. That's harder. Let's just be real. I think it's harder for, for us in that sense. Uh, busyness, jobs, kids' activity. And there's more kids' activity than ever before, I think, in the history of the world. 
And then there's just sloth, right? We can be slothful. We can get in relationships. They're disappointing. You know, okay, this church talked about community and care and growth and sharing lives. And I've been going for a group. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> so why am I going? And we ask those questions if, if we're being honest. And, and, and it's just, there can be issues. So sometimes pride. For me, it would have been pride. Fear. If I, but if I disclose who I am, if people got to really know me, well, then how will they think? So pride can be an issue, right? I don't want people to know me. Fear can be an issue. I'm afraid of people knowing me. If I tell them that, what are they going to say? This is where the Gospel... We need the Gospel, the centrality of the Gospel to have fellowship with one another. Because here's the Gospel. God forgave all my sins, past, present, future. And I'm adopted in, in Christ. And I have the righteousness of Christ in me. So I can actually face my sin head on. Why? Because I'm secure in the grace of God. Without the grace of God, without a functioning Gospel, sharing your life with somebody is threatening. Because your identity can start to, to get hit in those things. So we do need you know, that centrality of the Gospel uh, in us. Sometimes, again, disappointments. Relationships do disappoint. And this church is old enough. You're like, you know what? We love one another and we've disappointed one another. You know, we fall short. I mean, you, know, you have a great pastoral team, but I'm sure they have fallen short along the way. I, I know I have. There's been people I've had to go back and say, well, I'm sorry, that wasn't caring. I'm sorry. You know, just ask for forgiveness. But the reality is, there, I don't, if you think about it, what relationship do you have that's real that hasn't had a disappointment? So, how's your family? Oh, no, there's never been a disappointment in our home. My kids have never been disappointed in me, nor I in them. And as husband and wife, we've never had a disappointment. Oh, really? Wow. Wow. Like, can you adopt me? <laughs> can I just hang around you? Uh, you've never had a conflict? You've never had your feelings hurt? You know, you've never had an expectation? Nobody's ever forgotten a birthday? Like, you know, for an anniversary? I mean, wow. Wow. But it, somehow when we hit church, boy, does that ever get leveraged in a different way. Folks, that's just real. It's just real. So if we're going to have real relationships that are really sharing life, we're going to run into some disappointments, some conflicts, you know, and we're going to have to work through those things, and God wants us to. So hear God's Word. Hear God's Word. Exhort one another every day. Hear God's Word. Consider how to stir one another up. Consider. Be intentional and thoughtful. Encourage all the more as you see what in Hebrews 10, the day of the Lord approaching. So you're having the community. I heard you talk about community groups, small groups. So why are, we, why are you doing small groups? Well, because we're trying to build that, that fabric, that ethic into the life of the church. You do this face-to-face. -face. You know, Facebook and Instagram and all those things, tweet, they're wonderful ways to communicate, can be wonderful ways to communicate, but they're limited. Face-to-face -face is different. I've got, my words are flowing. I don't get to craft them. <laughs> I don't get the way. I, you know, my words are flowing. There's something real in that and organic in that. And, and what are we to do? We're to give and receive encouragement. We're to apply God's Word. We're to fulfill Galatians 6.1. Carry one another's burdens. What's the assumption in that? Carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. One, that you have burdens that you need someone to help you carry. And one, two, they have burdens they need you help them to carry. That's the assumption in the Bible. The assumption is not competent Christian. The assumption is weak Christian. Let's embrace what the Bible describes about us. We're weak. So I need help. That's okay. 
And that builds us together. So that's what we have. Here's the deal. You have community groups. I don't know how often they meet. I don't know how you feel about going to community groups. Here's how I feel. I don't always want to go. And guess what? I lead it. And I don't want to go to my own group. <laughs> now think about it. Like, I don't want to go to the group I'm leading. Why? Because sometimes it's a lame meeting. <laughs> and I'm leading it. And sometimes like, I'm just tired. I've worked all day. I don't want to go back out at night. I mean, everything in me when I come home is I am home and I'm home to stay. And now i got to go back out for a meeting that's not going to change my life? Yes. Because you know what? One meeting might not. One meeting might change your life. One might not. But here's what I bet you. 50 will over time. I've been going to church my whole life. So if you take 59 years times 52 weeks, it's a lot of church meetings. Christian school for 11 years. Yeah. Community groups now for 28 years, 30 years. What changed your life? All that together. Over time. And you know what? Leave me alone and I'll drift. I need you. I need others to rescue me. I need others to be sensed to me when I'm losing my senses. When I'm discouraged, can God still love me? Can God still use me? I need someone else to speak the Gospel to me to remind me of what I was before I was a Christian. And you know what? And even though I'm redeemed and, and, and set apart to God, that indwelling sin still functions. And so you know what? How do I need to be encouraged how often? Well, I think every day. You know, and someone around me needs my encouragement every day. So why do you do small groups? Not to build, not to sort of, this is how you grow churches. Not because it's in right now, right? Everybody's doing small groups. Because there's a biblical conviction behind we do this and over time, truth over time makes a difference. Truth over time makes a difference. So we want to listen and when we're caring for each other, we want to listen, care, speak, pray for one another. But we give and receive encouragement. Folks, exhort, exhort one another every day. That means there's effort. There's effort involved. Learn how to spur one another on to faith and the good works. So here's some questions. Close. Here's some questions to, to consider. And I, I, I just listen to them and just find yourself in any of them and, and if you find yourself, if you do. One, are you plagued with discouragement or doubt? Are you plagued with that? Do you, say, does, do you live with a low level of guilt or unbelief? Sort of wake up in the mornings and just look like, ugh, ugh. How can God, you know, ugh, I just start the day there. That's one question. Second question. Are you comfortable with complacency? By the way, sometimes the older you get, the more you need to ask. I just did a seminar for people over 50. Just, you know, the world's, we always talk about the world's seducing youth. You know who the world's won the seduction argument with? People 55 and up. It's your time. It's your money. You worked hard. Time to kick back. Really, where's that in the Bible? Rather than, wow, I have more time. I have more resources. I have more life experience. How can I give more? <laughs> How do I run to the end? This is not the end. <laughs> the rest is to come. 
the, the big rest. So how do I run to the end? Not, man, you know what? Hey, I've served in the church my 20, 30 years, and it's time to, yeah, it's time to help and pass things on the end generation. But I have a vital role to play. Vital. Old folks, you need young folks. You need to hear zeal. You need to hear things that are not complacent. Young folks, you need to hear old folks. And people in the middle, we need both. So um, where I belong in that, I'm not going to ask you. Um, but are you comfortable with complacency? In other words, is zeal a thing of the past? Have you grown casual with sin? Sin that bothered your conscience last year, but this year, you know what? I'm just not winning, but I'm not talking about it. Has your joy in Christ diminished or grown cold? Are you comfortable to join us? Our church has grown, and, and, um, and you know, I think it's easier to come to our church and be unnoticed. Just come. Enjoy the service. Good singing, nice people, nice building, solid preaching. And I'm anonymous. Now, if you say, any of those questions. Plague with discouragement or guilt, comfortable with complacency, casual sin, uh, joy in Christ diminished, comfortable with being anonymous. This is where you need others. You need others to help you. That's a dangerous place, folks. Sin. Heed the warning sign. You may not plan to fall away. And maybe you don't fall away, but maybe just casual, just casual complacency. Done a number of funerals this year, from young to old. People who saw death coming and people who death was a great surprise. But I'll tell you those things, it brings a sobriety of life. And it brings a sobriety of what's important. I mean, I think about this, and I don't know why. Um, you know, Lord, what do I, if I, I, I pray, I'm praying for this gift from God that I have last words to say to my kids. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll die sudden. Maybe I'll become incapacitated. I don't know. Lord, I want last words. I, want like, I just want to follow Christ. I never regretted following Christ. All my regrets came from following myself. I, I, every regret I can trace out, it's about me. No regret. Oh, cost, challenge, maybe even suffering following Christ, but no regret. I don't have one on that side. I mean, the ledger is absolute. No regrets in following Christ. All sorts of regrets when I've indulged sin. I need help. I need brothers and sisters. Why do I go to the care group that I lead? Because I need them to help me not lose my mind. To help me get out of my head and, and establish with Christ. We need one another. So as, as they're talking about strategy and what they're doing, you know, folks, this is what we need. We're building, this is how you build gospel culture. This is how we obey God's Word. God gives us brothers and sisters to protect us to help us to grow, and to help us finish well. So final quote by Richard Phillips from his commentary, fine commentary in Hebrews, is this, Christian fellowship, including prayer, Bible study, and meaningful friendship, is a great bulwark against sin's deception. In such company, the arguments of sin lose their force, and we are strengthened in faith and obedience. Our goal is to persevere to the end and to enter into God's rest. 
And our strategy is mutual watchfulness. What a worthy cause that is. It is worth the inconvenience. It is worth giving up some leisure time. It is worth real sacrifice and will repay the dividends of eternal life. Let's pray.